Hello, I'm Tony, and welcome to the Tony Shap Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This week, I have Dan with us. I'm super excited to introduce you to him. I can't wait for you guys to learn more about who he is, what he does. And uh, with that said, Dan, I wanted to give you a big warm welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Tony. I'm delighted to be here. Great. Thank you. Uh, you're super welcome. Let's dive right into the one word open. So if you could open us up with a one word that could describe how you're feeling in this moment, Dan, that would be great. I would say focus, Tony. Um, you know, we've been quite busy lately in our shop and, uh, I think prioritization has been a, a key uh, to trying to try to get through all the different things we're working on at the moment. So, so focus for right now. I love it. With focus being the opening, let's go right into business. So can you share with us a little bit more about your firm, what you do, who you invest in and where you are at today and where you're heading? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking. So Salt Creek Capital is a lower middle market private equity firm. And we're generalists in terms of industry, but we focus uh, very much on uh, situations that require a change in leadership. So oftentimes that's a retiring owner or a family owned business. And through uh, an effort to achieve liquidity, they also need to find a buyer for that business who can introduce uh, and facilitate new leadership. And so we've completed about 36 transactions of this type where in each situation, we introduce a new CEO as part of that transaction. So there's a, a, a very large number of baby boomers across the US who are entrepreneurs and have founded businesses who over the next 10 to 15 years will be looking to retire. And as part of that, unlocking the value that they've created in their, their business, uh, which oftentimes is the you know, single largest asset that they own. And at the same time, finding an excellent leader to take on the stewardship of their business is the challenge they face. And so we've tried to build our offering really around facilitating that type of transaction, both offering liquidity to that business owner so that he has uh, the liquidity and um, resources to retire, while at the same time, uh, providing him a leader to transition the business to who can ideally grow it to the next level, offer uh, increased amount of challenges to the team, um, maybe uh, expand the geographic footprint or product line, what have you. Oftentimes we find that um, later in, a, in an entrepreneur's career, you know, they're not as focused or as aggressive about pursuing growth. And, uh, and so we, we feel that this, facilit this facilitated transition to a new leader often allows for that business to have sort of a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed uh, uh, sense of growth, uh, which, which is an exciting time. So um, it's, uh, it's really a specific transaction type that we look for. And, and we think it's quite a large and growing need with the, the number of baby boomers retiring in the coming years. That's really great. You mentioned a key word that's really close to me, which is leadership and you know, being a leader. So. I would love to hear your take on what you would consider a remarkable leader. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we have been very fortunate to work with a lot of uh, strong CEOs. Um, I think many different skill sets um, and disciplines because 
they may have advanced through their career on the more finance and accounting side or more operationally or on the sales side. And I think the common trait that, um, that makes many of the most successful ones successful is a focus on team and really developing those around them, hiring in where they have weaknesses, which isn't a very comfortable thing to do because you, you may feel a little bit challenged by someone who's filling a weakness that you have. But I think the, the leaders who are willing to overcome that uh, discomfort of bringing someone in who sort of uh, addresses weaknesses they have, uh, invests in the development of their team, takes uh, chances by giving them opportunities to, to take on new things. Um, you know, that doesn't always work out, but it's stepping outside of your bounds to, uh, to allow your team to develop. And, uh, and, and I think those types of leaders, um, you know, may, you know, may be more of a risk taker in some respects, but, but they enable the overall organization to really thrive and grow and be less dependent upon them. And that's really critical. I mean, we see a lot of businesses that are founder-run and founder-owned that, that are quite dependent upon that, that owner. And that's part of what causes that business to get to a certain level and have a challenge growing beyond that level. And so when we come in with a new CEO, we, we do want to invest in the team. We do want to make that business less reliant on one or two or even three people and really have a sustainable uh, and broad-based team. That is so huge. And thanks for going into uh, um, in depth with that for us, because that helps us really understand and get inside your, your, your thought process about, you know, what leadership is, what, what makes a remarkable leader. So I really appreciate that, Dan. Moving along to wins. Can you share with us a recent win that you're proud of in business context and also what you learned from it? Absolutely. I, I think one important lesson that we've learned is, is investing in lower middle market businesses. And what I mean by that, it's, it's oftentimes, you know, companies that are doing, you know, five to 50 million of revenue, maybe it's a, a million to 5 million of EBITDA. So these are smaller businesses. And if you're investing in a smaller business with a lot of much larger competitors, that can be a tough spot to be in. And so we've tried to acquire leaders in very niche markets uh, where even though it's a smaller business, it has a dominant market share within the industry or marketplace that, that it's operating. Uh, and we've done that in a number of instances, and that usually works out quite well for us. A great example of that is a company called Four Wheel Campers, which is uh, based near Sacramento in Woodland, California. And they really produce sort of the highest quality slide-in pop-up campers for four-wheel drive vehicles. And over decades, Decades have really generated a, a cult following and a, a lot of uh, appreciation of the last year with people's interest in outdoor activities with COVID and so forth has really caused a surge in demand. And so they're, uh, they're, they're hustling. They're, they're working as hard as they can to produce as many units as they can so people can get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Uh, but we really like those market leading sort of niche companies and, uh, and, and we've seen that, you know, four wheel campers, we, we have a company that's a leader and wallpaper primer and paste, maybe not quite as exciting as getting out there and, and camping, uh, but, uh, but we like those leaders. And I think that's a lesson for us that we'll continue to try to pursue um, 
leaders within those niche categories. I love it. Thank you. And can you share with us a recent, you know, failure and also what you learned from it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, you can't um, you can't underestimate how challenging it is to to have leadership transition. I mean, oftentimes, uh, a founder of a business, you know, identified the market need, sort of built all of the processes around meeting that the customers' needs knows everything there is to know about the business. So to transition to a new leader, boy, there, there's a long list of things you've got to do right. And, um, and, and I would say, you know, in those cases where we've not done a great job, it's because we try to take on too much too fast. We try to do too many things um, before our CEO and his team really got their sea legs and got comfortable with what all the things that that founder was doing as as he exited the business, and and it's um, it often doesn't look challenging because that founder or business owner may have been doing it for ten or twenty or even thirty years, and so many things that he or she does may may feel second nature, and maybe he or she doesn't even know to describe these are all the things that I think about or that I factor into the decision making processes that I go through. And so for a new leader to step in and start to understand all of those nuances and, and appreciate the whys of how a business operates and, and what motivates customers and so forth is, um, is, is, um, uh, is not gonna provide the right foundation for making other decisions, whether that's an add-on or expanding your product line. So we really encourage our CEOs to spend a good 12 to 18 months understanding the business, making sure that they absolutely know how to fly the plane and, um, and have an appreciation for, for all the processes and customer expectations before we begin making big strategic decisions like an add-on acquisition or, or introducing a new product and so on and so forth. So uh, I would say we're, you know, we're humbled by our uh, eagerness to try to move too fast uh, in a recent experience and uh, more inclined to take our time, make sure that we have the right foundation and understanding of the business before we try to do too much. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, let's talk about um, from your experience, things that you've seen over the years um, when it comes to founders and leaders. Is there any kind of like, if you, I know there's a lot of things to have in common as a leader, they do X, Y, and Z, or they do X and Y to get Z, whatever it is, right? Is there, here's the question, is there one advice you could give that founder, that entrepreneur, that business owner that's listening to this right now, if you could only give that person one advice, I know this is tough then, if you could just give them one advice to be on the right path, um, what would that one advice be? Uh, that's a great question, Tony. I, I would say um, for many business owners, it's figure out a succession plan for yourself. Figure out a way that you can step out of the business. And that may be implementing software and systems that, that help others make decisions uh, of the same quality and caliber that you do with all of the experience that you've gained over the years. Uh, it may mean uh, hiring uh, one or two other people around you that, that you would then have some time to mentor and grow into a role that will free you up. Um, if, you're, if you're working in the business too much instead of working on the business, 
you, you're probably not going to have as much fun. You're more prone to burning out. You are probably not going to allow that business to achieve its full potential. And so if you're, if you're backfilling, if you're developing um, others within the organization that you can offload a lot of your responsibilities to, that's going to free you up. It's going to allow you to either step back or, or think strategically and think higher level about what growth opportunities lie in front of you. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to sort of take yourself out of roles and to shed responsibilities. Um, it, it takes a lot of trust. It takes confidence in the people around you. Um, but, but if you do that, I think it really frees you up to allow your business to achieve more and approach a liquidity event um, with less reliance on you and less risk to a buyer. The, the more a buyer has confidence that that transition to a new owner is not going to cause that business to break and to, to be too fragile because it's so dependent upon a very strong leader with a, without the right group around that leader supporting it, um, the easier that transaction will be. So you, you want to be able to instill confidence in a buyer that there's um, a, a strong team and an ability for that business to march on after that founder's gone. That was awesome. I wish we were hosting a room on the clubhouse right now. There'd be probably over a thousand people listening because you know, this was really great, Dan. So I appreciate that. Um, but at least here, unlike clubhouse, they can rewind it and listen to it where clubhouse, everything is live. Right. So this is really great. Um, with that said, I have an awkward question for you. So what's the smallest check you've ever written and what's the largest check that you've ever written in your business? Yeah, good question. So I would say the, the smallest business that we acquired um, was about three and a half million dollars. And so, some of that was equity, some of that was debt. So some of that came from our firm. And then the largest recent transaction that we did was about $35 million. So that's kind of the range of business valuations, I would say, that are comfortable for us. We could probably do a little bit larger than that as we've gained more experience and our investor base has grown maybe maybe up to $50 million transactions. Um, but that sort of three and a half to $35 million range is something we've already achieved. Got it. Okay, so if we could turn back time and what would you be able to tell if you were, you know, you saw the 21 year old Dan yourself at 21, if you could tell that Dan one advice, what would you tell your 21 year old self, Dan? Um, I would say be open-minded. I think at that point, I probably thought I knew more than I did. And I probably had a view from my career um, that is very different in terms of how it's unfolded. I mean, I, I finished college and, and actually was a CPA at a big four accounting firm for a few years. And I think that was a nice learning experience uh, for me. Uh, but, but knew it wasn't what I wanted to do long term. And I think over the course of my career, most of which has been involved in principal investing, some on the venture capital side and in recent years uh, on the private equity side, more doing buyouts, um, it would have been hard to predict um, that my career would have, would have evolved in the way that it has. Um, so I would have said, you know, Dan, keep your, <laughs> keep an open mind and, and listen and learn and uh, uh, don't presume, you know, more than you do. I appreciate that. Um, what's that one question that I should have asked you, Dan, 
that I haven't, or, at, or you know, I should have asked you. Yeah, I, I guess um, what we haven't talked about, Tony, is um, the executives that we work with, because that's such a critical uh, component of, of our solution that we provide sellers. Um, and I think oftentimes it's the quality of the executive that we're partnering with to acquire a business that, that allows Salt Creek to stand out um, from other buyers. Uh, meaning if that seller sees an executive who's run a bigger P&L, maybe he's, or he, she's got a top 10 MBA, um, they're uh, bringing best practices from running large organizations. You know, maybe they were in a division of Illinois Toolworks or GE where they learned all these wonderful management skills that they can now bring into a smaller business. Uh, oftentimes that's, that's quite appealing. And so, you know, we look, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time recruiting and sourcing executives. I would say the, the critical functions within our organization that we spent a lot of time and money on is, of course, sourcing opportunities, good businesses for us to consider investing in. But we also spent a considerable amount of time recruiting top level executives who want to partner with us and be backed by a PE firm and running a business. And, and there's a lot of great talented executives that, you know, may be sick and tired of being a W-2 and feel like they want to bet on themselves, you know, invest alongside of us, be backed by a private equity firm and have more of a wealth creating event over a five-year period growing a business. And, um, and so we, we spend a lot of time and effort. Uh, typically, we've got maybe 15 executives on our bench. We want to have a wide range of different industry experiences and backgrounds so that as deal flow comes in, you know, we've got the right executive experience to pursue each of those deals with. Um, but th that's a big part of our business and, and maybe something that's a little bit different than, uh, than many other private equity firms uh, who, who may have operating partners who will sit on the boards of some of their companies. But in terms of actually having one of their executives move in on day one as the new CEO of that business, I, I think is part of the unique aspect of Salt Creek Capital. Excellent. So, and the person who's listening to this right now, if they want to test the waters or, you know, or jump all in, you know, what should they, what should be happening in the organization for them, for, for it to make sense for them to reach out to you? Well, I, I would say there's a couple of different um, types of audience members. Certainly if you're a business owner and you're planning for an exit and you'd like to speak directly to uh, principal uh, a capital provider like us, come to our website and look at um, the companies that we've invested in, look at our approach, um, certainly reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to have those conversations. I would say similarly, if you're an executive who um, has always had a desire to be more entrepreneurial and invest in and run a business, uh, we're eager to meet with you and and Carol Underka, who's uh, the person on our team who leads recruiting efforts is listed on our website and reach out directly to Carol and um, she can provide more information about our executive partner program. Uh, so, so website's a, a, a great location. Um, I'd, I'd also say, Tony, you know, we recently authored a book uh, which is called Exit and it's uh, really designed for business owners to think about um, all the steps and what they need to to do to prepare for a sale of their business. And so we're, we're getting ready to launch that. You know, we hope to have a link up on our website shortly. 
um, as well as other locations that, that people can read that book and, and that will help uh, guide primarily sellers through that process of exiting their business. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for you with the book. Um, when you get that published and it's ready to go, we'll have to have you back on here so we can kind of dive a little bit into that book and let the audience know about that as well. Um, and what's your website address if you want to give it out to everyone? That's listening. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. It's saltcreekcap.com. So uh, saltcreekcap.com. Great. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes for everyone as well who's listening. And uh, here we are at the end. Dan, if you could sign us off with a one word close and why you're choosing this one word close, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I would say optimistic. Um, if we were talking a year ago, we'd be in the middle of our country shutting down, travel stopping, businesses being closed. And comparing that to where we are today with the vaccines rolling out at a pretty good clip and businesses starting to reopen, um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that, um, you know, we're headed back to normal. Don't know exactly when that will be, but I think directionally we're, we're, we're headed back and businesses are opening and economy is starting to recover. So that makes me feel optimistic. Awesome. There you have it, folks. Dan, thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. Great to, great to be with you today. Same here. Thanks. And there you go. I hope you enjoyed it and great to have you. And thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode. Till next time, onwards and upwards. <laughs>